When Carmen and Alan Snedeker moved into their suburban home in Connecticut, they thought it was perfect. Little did they know what evil lurked inside the woodwork. They say their new house, which was once a funeral parlor, was haunted by ghosts. One of the children slept downstairs in the basement, which used to be the morgue. There, a gruesome blood-stained wall remained, along with a chain-powered body lift, once used to bring corpses from the basement to the first floor. Night after night, the family says they heard strange voices, loud music and haunting footsteps in the house, yet no one was there. I just feel like this is like such a heavy topic. It is a heavy topic, but we have chosen to discuss it. So well, we have to discuss it. I mean, you can't discuss the Warrens. Well, you could, but we choose not to. Yeah, I feel like many have chosen not to, but we are doing a special episode on a case outside of the, the like strict conjuring universe yeah. but one that um heavily features the warrens and there was another movie made about it right actually there were two so this is like its own cinematic universe it is it what was the other movie that was is it the documentary no it's like haunting in connecticut too i've never i didn't see it oh, i think right. that it's just like a scary movie i don't know if it's like ripped from the headlines of ed and lorraine warren but and that one is like Ghosts of Georgia. Oh, is it? I think it is. I also did not watch it. Um, I didn't take it seriously as a sequel. Well, the Warrens never went to Georgia. I mean, I no, don't think they, they stayed ever... firmly planted on yeah Eastern it's Seaboard, as close to Monroe, Connecticut, as humanly possible <laughs> at all times. That's how the Warrens lived their life. Because they know what's out there and none of it's good. None of it's good. It's just ghosts and devils. And and devils. and I keep saying ghosts, but it should be known that they deal with the devilish. Yeah, they do. Although I think everyone is a little bit wishy-washy on, you know, what exactly is going on. But yeah. I think they, I think their main thing, well, Ed is a demonologist or was a demonologist. Right. And she was a clairvoyant. Yeah. So I don't know if about clairvoyance, but his specialty, obviously, demons. Not yeah. those. <laughs> and um, I, I learned that Ed Warren and I share a birthday. That's so cool. September 7th. Happy, well birthday soon <laughs> in six months or something something I don't know yeah so um I don't know I thought that was something exciting. really cool <laughs> it is cool it connects us we have like a similar I don't know we're we're both Virgos that's all we know we're deeply connected oh excuse my dog <laughs> um the only person I share a birthday with is Ashton Kutcher that's good that's a that's good, one. That's a good one. I know I share a birthday with. I did one of those um, 
are you good with like the, the rising sign and the setting sign? And no, I, I always forget. I don't really know what time I was born. I've asked both of my parents and they both give, um, conflicting testimony. So I have no idea. Aggie, that's another thing that connects us because that is the same story on this end. They don't know what exact time it wasn't written on my birth certificate. And I guess there was a Yankees game. Um, when I, when I gives you a window, what's that? That gives you a window. Yeah. Like a time frame. Yeah. 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 I looked it up and it's like, late afternoon. So I'll choose to think that it was at 420. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, it might have been. I feel like, let's see. I'm just doing a quick Google search, which it seems um, unprofessional, but that's what we do here. For your own birthday. Oh, yeah. Guess who else? Oh good. my God. I have good people. James Spader. Love it. Garth Brooks. Oh, Chris Gaines. I'm obsessed with Garth Brooks. I watched his documentary, Eddie Azard. Love it. Chris Rock. <laughs> Amazing. That is a good. This is like a murderer's row of legendary performers. It's true. Plus <laughs> Ashton. I mean, this is a great day to be born, I got to say. Yeah, and it's the day that you were born, which makes it the best. Yeah, and then here we are doing this. So, you okay, know. September seventh birthdays. Let's see who we've got here. Elizabeth the first. That's good. Um, I feel like I'm looking at a bunch of TikTokers. I don't know who any of. It happens. <gasps> oh my God, Danny Lynn Burkhead is September seventh. Oh my God, Irene. Holy shit that you have good ones you have good ones i do have good ones buddy holly evan rachel wood leslie jones toby jones all the jones got a lot of jones birthdays um yeah all right i mean i could have stopped as soon as i said danny lynn danny lynn is like the crown jewel of your danny lynn and ed warren that is pretty creepy that's good that's good the stars, <laughs> the stars, they aligned. They will, they are aligned. They were like Elizabeth the first, Ed Warren, Irene, and then they were like Garth Brooks, Aggie. <laughs> That's good. That's fine. It is. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so we both watched the movie A Haunting in Connecticut, which is based on a famous case that the Warrens were involved with. Yeah, that it's a gross movie. Yeah, that is sort of I feel like this must have come out before The Conjuring. Yes, it was 2009. Yeah. So this was before we got back to our roots with horror before we fell in love with atmosphere when we were (laughs) saying what does horror mean to us now? Yes. Horror is all about the things you don't see. It's uh... yeah, exactly. Well, (laughs) they forgot they didn't. They didn't get the memo. Forgotten that lesson because this movie is disgusting. It is gross. (laughs) I could not. It's all about a guy who his thing is cutting people's eyelids off. 
Yeah, they find a box of eyelids, like hardened eyelids. And then the boy touches them and he's like, oh no, he knew what they were. I can't believe this movie was rated PG-13. I sort of can't either. I mean, like, you know what's crazy is that if they showed one female nipple, sorry to get back on the free the nipple train, which I never was on in the first place, but. No, but it's true. One nipple, it would have been R. Yeah. And they're slicing eyelids off. Left and right. And it's like, go for it, whatever. Fun for the whole family. This country is disgusting and so perverted and so repressed. It's so true. It's, it's so, so true. stupid. <laughs> like, that's the most disgusting thing I can imagine. Like, what's the sexual equivalent of cutting someone's eyelid off? Like, if, if like, missionary pos- position sex is, like, the violence equivalent is, like, shooting someone... <laughs> You know what I mean? Or like your run of the mill slasher with a knife. Then like cutting your eyelid off is like, I mean, I don't even want to think of what, what that, but that's like rated X. It's for sure. For sure. I don't know. A gross, gross movie with surprisingly good actors. We had sideways own Virginia Madsen. Right. Which is like, you never see her. And then whenever you do, you're like, Virginia Madsen is in this. Yeah. Why is she doing this? And, um, oh God, who was her husband? The her uh, husband was the guy. Mark Donovan. The, he's like, um, yeah, from Weeds. He mm-hmm. was in The Opposite of Sex, Living Out Loud. 1998 was a great year for him. Yeah, he was in all these things. All right, Martin Donovan. Very severe kind of feel to him. A severe vibe. Oh, yeah. And, and we're, we were serious in this. This was a serious movie and he was serious in it. It was. And I feel like it's a real like precursor to something like a hereditary. Maybe. I mean, I think that's generous. I guess it's a stretch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it sort of touches on a like family relationship which is what like hereditary is about yeah but maybe maybe more and then uh as like the priest who comes and helps them who's kind of I guess maybe like the Ed Warren stand-in because they didn't have life rights for them they're not in this movie yeah but there is like a, a priest who comes and like prays over the ghouls uh in the house and that's Elias Cote Coteus yeah I wonder though if Ed and Lorraine Warren if they did make money from this movie I'm not sure um they because they aren't in a lot of these things but they still sold the story the stories that they have made money from I'm not sure that they I'm pretty sure that they made money at least from whatever the book was about this yes and there was a a documentary called a haunting in connecticut that had come out in like the early 2000s -hmm. and i wonder if they don't need to get a lot of like any rights or anybody profits from it because it's all like out in the open you know it's well i I, yeah i really don't know my adapting that book sorry what they didn't adapt that book into it yeah 
So I guess not. I don't know. Very interesting. My understanding of the Warrens is that they never charged for their investigations, but they made money from like lectures and then also from like book and movie rights. Right. And should we talk about the real case that this is based on? Let's do it. So the movie is sort of like its own thing, but it's like loosely inspired by this Connecticut family called the Snedekers. Yeah. They weren't a Connecticut family, but they ended up in Connecticut because the son was suffering from lymphoma and was getting a treatment at, um, at like this university hospital in Connecticut. And they had to drive like 300 miles round trip or something to take him for his chemo. Yeah. And they were like, there's gotta be a better way. So the mom looks for a house and like, this is all how the movie is too. Um, And she finds this house and it's like, oh, it's so spacious. And like, I guess the real house is like right across the street from the hospital. And they had the first floor and the basement. And the son who was the oldest son, his name is Philip. Although he is often referred to only as like the oldest or on that Sally Jesse episode, they call him Steven. he uh, decided to sleep in the basement and they discovered in the basement that the house had actually been a mortuary and there were all these like mortuary tools and pulleys and uh, blood spatter on the wall. And they were like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. That apparently, well, according to the mother on Sally, Jesse, Raphael, when they moved into Carmen, what? Her name is Carmen. Carmen. She said that they found like all of this equipment for like cleaning dead bodies, like big, like industrial, like sinks and hoses and drains in the floor and like gross things like that. And yeah, like pulleys and it was all still there. Yes. And she also found um, a bunch of photos of dead bodies. And they dramatized that in the movie that like the mom, the Virginia Madsen, like finds all these Victorian photos of like posed corpses. And she's like, oh my God. Like, yeah. Have you never seen these before? And who knows how long, I think the house had been rented out and people lived in it before them, right? Like, I don't think that it was just like a funeral parlor and then immediately turned into like a house like other people had lived there before yes and it it was a duplex so there was another family like living on the top floor yeah who were unaffected by the demons running rampant on the four levels right so but I would be like very uncomfortable living in a house like that for sure I would not want to live amongst like body cleaning equipment No, I wouldn't either. That would not be my number one choice. And I do have a 
a, a bit of a hard time believing that they didn't know that that was what the house was before they got in there or that they didn't examine, that they didn't like do a basic walkthrough. Like, well, this you- was a big, so we're jumping ahead, but like we did talk about Sally, Jesse, Raphael. They taught, they had a whole episode dedicated to this and there was a huge argument about whether or not there was a sign up that said funeral home. Um, they insisted that it wasn't there when they moved in. The neighbors were insisting that it was there. Then they were saying it was there, but it was covered up. It was taken down and put back up. I there don't was know. A sign on the side of the house that was like too mortuary. It's like, how do you not, how, how do you, how do you not see it? Well, but they claimed that they couldn't see it or that, they it, didn't that it had been like covered up or like taken down when they moved in. Right. And then put back up or uncovered after. I feel like if your child was going to sleep in the basement, you would like walk into the basement. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I definitely don't believe that they didn't know it was a mortuary until they moved, like went to go to bed that night or something. Like that's yeah, not, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, when you look at an apartment, you should be looking in closets you should be opening drawers looking in nooks and crannies you know check the water pressure definitely for victorian death photos oh my gosh there was this apartment that we looked at in chicago um it was uh like right between andersonville and lincoln square you know that zone around ashland where it's sort of out of range for either the like either train line, you know what I'm talking about? So we went to this house to look at this like huge apartment and uh, it was like a, a duplex house. And the guy like shows us around and in the back bedroom, there was a door um, that w- it had like something, ma- it, it was like a little closet but like a place for someone to be in the closet. And there was a deadbolt on the outside of it. And um, it really, it freaked me out so bad. And we had to go upstairs to the guy's house. And he was like, he's like, my father owns the house, but he's only here one month out of the year. And he was like, you won't really hear much from us when, when he's here. Like, and he's like, I'm, I'm pretty quiet, but he had like plastic over every piece of furniture inside and like crucifixes and stuff. And I was like, I can't, this place is haunted. Yeah. I used to work as a Chicago, uh, like not a, like an apartment broker when I first graduated from college. And my job was to like take people around and like show them apartments. And I once took this guy to view an apartment. I'd never been there before. I just like, you would like get the keys and like, just like take these people. And we went in and it was like this really pretty like courtyard apartment that was really green. It was like super overgrown and it was like the garden apartment. So like underground. Um, And I took him down into this apartment and usually they're either vacant or almost vacant because the people know that they're leaving. It was completely filled with furniture. Like this guy like was living there and 
I just, and everything, there were like things cut out of like magazines all over, taped to like the wall and. Oh my God. Um, taped to, and like cu- completely covering the fridge with magnets. And I just kind of, while the person was looking around, I just kind of started looking at it and mixed in with like normal ads and things. There were these like explicit pornographic images that the person <gasps> cut out and like melded in to like make this like giant collage of like ads and like sex pictures I don't know and it was like basically covering everything and I looked out the window and saw there was this like statue of like a naked woman just like not that wouldn't be creepy on its own but there was just a lot of stuff going on and I just suddenly got this weird feeling like, oh my God, it, the person's here. Is the person here who who is renting this out? And why are they having people like me come into their apartment? I mean, I was with the like customer, the client or whatever. I wasn't alone, but I was like, I knew the person didn't want to rent it as soon as we set foot inside. I was like, this is some fucked up like game this person is playing. So I was like, we just like got out of there. Oh my God. What did the client say? Um, I think they were just like, oh, I don't know if a garden is for me. Like, I think they just were like, no one, I, they either didn't notice or um, were too polite to say anything. We wow. Just like, That's yeah. so freaky. I, that would definitely freak me out too. Was it, it a ma- man or a woman that you were with? I was with a man. Yeah. That experience has to be so different for a man, honestly, like another, if you had been in there with another woman, we would have run out together. Yeah. And then you would have like gone and had a drink together and become best friends. And you'd be hosting the podcast with her. I know it would be called like person who rented me an apartment and me best friendship (laughs) hour. Gosh, it's really, it rolls off the tongue. Sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we definitely know that it's important to thoroughly examine an apartment or home before you decide to rent it. Yes, for sure. No doubt. Um, So The Sun, something that I thought was pretty interesting about the movie, because I watched the movie before I watched the Sally Jesse episode and like read more about the Snedeker family. I did the opposite. Um. They, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, like in the story that he was, that he was a kid who had cancer and the cancer had like opened up this, um, I don't know, connection to the dark side and, uh, the way that he was hallucinating from his medication and also seeing ghosts, I, I thought was I thought was in, like interesting and um, an interesting idea. Reading about the case and finding out that that kid really was ill, and um, w- w- there was a different relationship with medication. But I I heard on this Monster Hunter podcast that you Monster recommended Talk. Monster Talk. Thank you. Sorry. Um, that you sent me that uh, the it's an interview with the guy who wrote the book about the Snedeker family and he doesn't have a single good thing to say about Edder Lurian Warren, 
but um, he says that there were other like ghost hunters who wanted to have somebody who had cancer with them because they were like an intermediary between like the world of the dead. I was like, what the fuck? I had never heard of that or thought of that before. Yeah. Cause I guess it's like, I mean, I think it's kind of a gross and shitty thing, but I guess the idea yeah, is really sick. You know, you're halfway between death and living, which isn't true. No, but I think that's also why people have this like spooky association with like children because they're like new. <laughs> so they were recently in this other realm or whatever. But I don't know. Like, I think that's just so. Um, I don't know if the term is like ableist, but it's definitely it just definitely makes me angry. Yeah, it's um, like having it be a device for a shitty horror movie. I yeah. was like one thing, but then to realize that it is rooted in truth was pretty shocking. Yeah, and like it's a good, so like these people that we listen to are all obviously like skeptics I mean I don't think the guy who wrote this book is like obviously like a professional skeptic but he went to them and he he's kind of like disavows the book but yeah he was a horror writer before he wrote yeah that's why they wanted him to write it but and he was proud of how scary he made his book yeah he was and he should be I mean I'm sure I didn't read it but I'm sure it's really good it ever it captured the imagination of millions but, you know, I feel like I, I'm kind of like skeptical of the skeptical movement. I think that they're kind of lean into being like, you know, buzz kills and blowhards and like occasionally like weirdly like libertarian or something. Like there's just like a vibe there that I'm not 100% on board with. But I do feel like one of their one of the things that they do is remind people like there's no such thing as a twilight between death and living you're alive or you're not and so saying that somebody who has some like cancer is like more dead than a person who isn't doesn't have it is bullshit and you shouldn't let someone say that to you is good and valuable yeah there's important work that gets done by people like that but sometimes like you know, like Pendulette is like a big part of that that group. You know what I mean? It's like, they're just a little like. Yeah, even though they're, I mean, yeah, they're like evangelists. Like, I feel like any sort of evangelist is annoying, whether they're like Christian or atheist, you know? I mean, like, have you ever seen that video of uh, Richard Dawkins cutting the giraffe's neck open to prove that God isn't real? No. Because- it a giraffe has some like weird like redundant organ in its neck that you know if if a god created a giraffe then god would never put this um like kind of like an 
like a biological like artifact within your body that doesn't we don't need anymore but it's still there because it hasn't like been phased out by natural selection so this is his proof and it's like okay yes yes okay but also like this man is standing like knee deep in a giraffe, like screaming, like God isn't real. And it's just too much. <laughs> no one is gonna see something like that and just think like, oh, like my faith is gone. I believed in God before this. And now, but now that this man, this like blood covered English man is screaming in my face. I'm now in- I get it. <laughs> I just don't think it, I just don't think it happens like that. Yeah, I feel like the um, like the more gentle version of that was, remember when Kirk Cameron was like, the banana is the perfect yeah. example of God's love. It was like made to by God to fit in our hand. And then some scientist was like, actually a banana is a great example of like evolution and like the power, you know, the power to change our environment. And like, this is what a real banana looks like before it goes through like agriculture and <laughs> I do remember that and like <laughs> it was like so wildly stupid yeah that he did that and like what the real banana looked like was so disgusting and just like so the total opposite of everything he was saying I know so <laughs> wow. so anyway I was just saying I was just like making a point about like skepticism in general but um yeah, they, but this man said, who uh, wrote the book, that I guess this movie isn't based, so Haunting in Connecticut is not based on the book Haunting, that's not, what is the book called? Oh, In a Dark Place by Ray Garden. And he said that uh, Ed Warren told him that like, the people that come to him are like all crazy and that if anything didn't work just to make it really scary he said just make it scary and that's that's what he did and that's what he did yeah um because this the snedekers were also maybe jealous of the uh success of amityville and apparently there were several grifts that Carmen Snedeker had been trying over like several years like when he was interviewing her for the book she asked him not to include the um this like interstate lottery scam she was running did you read about that what is the interstate lottery scam I don't know what the details of it are but she was like embroiled in some lottery scandal um there's also not any concrete evidence that Philip actually had cancer. Whoa. But Other he was her, schizophrenic. Uh, yeah. Other than her word for it. Her, which is... The mother's word for it. Yeah. So we should talk about the more um, serious and shocking allegations that the Snedeker family made. Uh, So they move into this house that um, used to be a funeral parlor and uh, things started getting weird. And the parents both claim that they were sodomized. Yeah. Yes. 
raped by ghosts. Um, they felt the covers pulled off them. They felt cold hands groping them. And they finally felt um, themselves being sodomized. And Carmen said that while the demon was doing it, he would laugh. Yes. There were other children who lived in the house and Carmen said on Sally Jesse Raphael that all of the children were affected in one way or another. She didn't say how every child was affected, but she said they all were. And she also had a niece who moved into the house who was also sexually assaulted at night and said that she saw a giant black form, like a blob. And it took the covers off her and sodomized her also. Yes. And when they went on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, that episode was called I Was Raped by a Demon. Yes. And they, um, Kelly, who is the niece, is on the stage and she is like, she's probably, yeah, it's, um, she's unable to really speak. Carmen has to, cut in and like talked for her she's shaking she's looking down she doesn't really seem like she wants to be there or participating in it yeah it's a pretty like stark contrast to this um show that is so like so you know it's like the most like typical 90s talk show like um it's so sleazy and like over the top and um the, I mean, at one point, the parents, Al and Carmen, get in a bed and they have like a bed on the stage and they get in the bed and the dad was saying that like he had heard this old timey music. So they like start playing the music in the studio mm-hmm. and they're side by side, like describing the sexual assault that they experienced. But she's like wearing her like 90s TV appropriate like skirt suit. Yes. With- And, you know, they're just, like, sitting up with their hands neatly folded in their laps, just, like, describing the experience. But they've just been moved from chairs to a bed. So you can, so the audience can really visualize it. Yeah. And, I mean, the the episode just descends into total chaos. And, like, uh, Sally Jesse keeps, like, bringing out new... um, neighbor after neighbor and friend after friend and and the warrens and the owners of the house and yes and, and through all like kelly is sitting there and you can just tell that like something happened to her and all with like whatever like crazy storytelling and like profiteering and everything that's going around on like I don't know. I thought she made a pretty stark contrast to, to that. Yeah. She's, she didn't seem like she was part of the like circus or, and I sort of think that everybody was in on it because there's this one moment, I don't know if you noticed it, but it was pretty shocking. So on the show, they're calling Philip Michael and Steven. I'm sorry, Steven. Cause there's another brother there named Michael. There's another brother named Michael. They're calling him Steven. And Steven 
Oh my God. So one of the neighbors who was there to contradict the Snedekers and is sitting in a group, there's like a group of their former friends and neighbors sitting off to the side together in like two or three rows that are like their enemies. And then like the Snedekers are on the other side of the stage. And one of them starts to say, Philip, and Carmen puts her hand in the air and just like makes like a cut noise like no or something like doesn't fully say it she kind of grunts like and is clear like stop and um the girl she's like a younger woman just like immediately like passes the mic to someone else and just stops talking so there was obviously something that they agreed that they weren't gonna say that she started to bring up and had to stop so Wow. I, uh, actually did not catch that. I know that I, um, I saw one of his friends stood up from the audience and was like, what about his drug use? Because, uh, so, uh, Philip, AKA Steven, uh, was the kid who saw ghosts, like when they moved into this house and they, shortly after that like diagnosed him with schizophrenia and got him on medication and he didn't see the ghosts anymore yes um so he was the first person who saw the ghosts i believe and the person who like said that he was seeing spirits um and he's not on the show but he's removed from the house after a family member alleges that he sexually assaulted her. Yes. And I think that because multiple people within that house, what came out later was that Kelly was being abused by him he was also doing stuff to his mom and uh they called the police on him and he ended up in like a psychiatric facility yeah um which is so fucked up and so awful and um yeah I mean what can you even what can you even say about it I mean I think it's I think you can say something about it because they publicized this story as a supernatural event. Right. So I think that scrutinizing it and talking about actual allegations that came up is like warranted because they're, they're saying that this fantastic thing happened. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I don't know if they were blaming Philip's actions on a demon or if they were doing another hoax that happened to really greatly align with like an actual horror that was happening in their house. I think that it might be the latter because some of the moms, um, like she says that she was washing dishes and while she was washing dishes, she started being sodomized and she like ran into the street and like being sodomized the whole way. 
Yeah. She says that on the Sally Jesse show. Yeah. And when the audience asks, like, did you guys go to the police? Did they examine you? And it's like, well, why would they? Uh, and she, the, the idea is like, there was no physical evidence. Like what was happening was happening like invisibly. Yeah. She was like, we couldn't see it. So why would anyone else be able to see it? Yeah. And, um, yes. So also she might have a reason to not want to go to the authorities about something like that. Exactly. Um, it's obviously complicated, but to make this such a public story, it, I, I just don't know if it's just denial um, or trying to like overshadow what happened with like to confuse the facts so no one will ever really know what happened. Um, or to just make it, I don't know. I don't really know why. I don't know either. I'm, I'm looking up Philip. I wanted to see, I thought maybe he had passed away. Did. Yeah. In 2012, he was in Tennessee at the time. Yeah. Someone posted on his like public memorial, something like your life was so horrible while you're here on earth. I hope you have peace in heaven something like that um and that was all I really saw about it they mention um in his public memorial uh they do mention the haunting and kind of that that whole story that period of his life yeah which is sort of a wild thing to put in your well the thing that he's the most known for I mean a character like a proxy for Philip is like the main character of um, the movie of the ha- a haunting in Connecticut. Right. Um, he's, you know, that's part, he's like a part of that story now. And then, and that story has been told a bunch of other times. It's not just that movie. I mean, like it's been recreated on how, who knows how many like any stupid, like recreation ghost shows. So like, that's kind of that's like his legacy being the kid that this stuff happened to even though you know it's not true right and uh in the movie they make him into like a heroic character he saves the day yeah he burns the house down and with all the bodies in it there's all these bodies in the wall that are covered in like runes yes which is I guess in the movie, I mean, honestly, I was like half paying attention to the movie. There's like a mad scientist or like who, some crazy guy is like cutting up all these bodies and cutting off their eyelids and then sticking them in the walls. And so the walls are just completely filled with these like absolutely like com- like um, just like. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> like cut up and. like Like half mummified yeah bodies yes because they were using them to like get ectoplasm out of the mediums um it's like it goes so crazy ectoplasm I truly did not know was a thing outside of ghostbusters in the picture on like the poster the there's like a person at the table and there's like all of this stuff coming out of their mouth yeah the ectoplasm oh yeah I got that I got that 
but it was my, I didn't, hadn't understood going into it. So I learned. <laughs> the ectoplasm um, I think is disgusting too. It is. Yeah. It is also disgusting. And there's something like the connection with fluids. Um, I don't know. It's like, again, you mentioned like just how perverted and repressed we are and these movies really feel very perverted and really repressed like this is what this is what repressed uh people make and <laughs> like a repressed culture makes yeah and it's like are you proud of this america like are you happy with yourselves yeah. that this is what we're doing cuz i'm not to be honest um the uh so ed and lorraine warren come on to the sally jesse show and um they were obviously involved with the snedeker family like they the snedekers reached out to them because they had been the people who had uh worked on the amityville case ed and lorraine came to their house they lived there for nine weeks and then supposedly like concocted this plan books etc so they're, they're on the show and um, something that was shocking to me and surprising was when Ed Warren said that the uh, people who owned the funeral parlor like had been like necromancers or like in, engaged in corpse tampering and all this stuff. I guess that caused a huge um, like pushback because that family funeral parlor had like been a local institution nobody had ever said anything bad about it and then here's ed warren on national television being like they're engaged in necrophilia whatever is that what necromancy is necromancy is when you use a dead body to like bring it to life you're like using like the power of death like you're using like death magic okay and necrophilia is like fucking corpses yeah necrophilia i got necromancy not so sure so yeah like part of that's part another part of the problem with this stuff where you can't really do it without throwing someone under the bus because you're telling a lie and there's gonna have to be like a bad guy in your story or there's gonna have to be a reason right that these things are happening in this house and not in any other house and obviously the connection to death is like scary and like kind of titillating and it's enough to be like a premise for, you know, a reason that I would believe that your, your house is haunted or like, I would just like give you the, give you a chance to explain to me that it's haunted. If I find out it used to be a funeral parlor or whatever. Right. But then it ends up, they end up making these like wild claims that like actually her people, like this family was involved in like black magic and people who have cancer are somewhere halfway between dead and alive. And this like violent sexual predator is actually like a hero. Like lies, I guess, aren't harmless. They're bad. <laughs> lies are bad. That's <laughs> I don't know. I guess I used to be like, really like think that this stuff was totally harmless and like fun, but it's not totally harmless at all. No, it's not. And um, yeah, those all all of those things are features of the movie. Like yeah. the people who made the movie watched that interview and like cherry picked the most salacious things about it. And like you said, you know, they take the perspective 
of the mother at face value. They make the son a hero and there's no real like actual investigation. And maybe like the hereditary comparison I made was off, but the, I, I guess like that is where horror has been for the last however many years, like that the, um, like the ghost of trauma trumps mm -hmm. sort of the supernatural like expression that you see in, in something like this. Like necromancy isn't scary. Like incest is fucking scary. Yeah. I mean, I think that it can be done well or done like less well, depending like on how you do it. I appreciate that in some movies. I like when horror movie, when the like horror movie is like a giant metaphor for something. Mm -hmm. um, as long as there's a sense of like fun to it, I think the movie will still be good. I sometimes, some of these movies are taking themselves a little too seriously in my opinion. I totally agree. I like a little less prestige in my horror. Yeah. I, I think it's, really hard to pull off but hereditary is good i don't think hereditary is yeah um i think about like the babadook too like to me that movie felt like a child abuse metaphor it felt like a child abuse metaphor to me too but i would put that in the like prestige horror category where i like i don't think it had enough sense of like enough like sense of uh self-awareness yeah and like i mean i guess we're getting a little bit away from the Snedeker's but I do think that like for these movies like you have to embrace that it's a genre like it's their genre movies and you can't just don't try to elevate it too much because then you end up just like disrespecting it just like make your child abuse drama yeah I kind I felt that way about It Follows too um It Follows is one that I think works really well yeah. that was one that I really liked yeah but like, I couldn't, I don't know the, um, what's the other one? The Maypole dance. Oh, Midsummer. Yeah. 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 That, uh, that was like too prestige. Oh, really? Cause I thought that one was like fun and silly. Maybe. I think the Ariacher ones are like fun. I see to me, those are like a little bit goofy. There it's a what? They're both a little bit goofy to me. I accept that for sure. There's like good sequences in them, but then there's long stretches where I feel like it's a little tedious. Interesting. Well, I will say the, um, the set piece in Hereditary from the party to the you know what, to the him being home, that whole thing with his sister is one of the, one of the best horror things to me ever horrific that's truly horrific i mean that's definitely not uh but it kind of is because it's so bad it's like so crazy it's it's so crazy but what puts it over the edge and makes it like so um because just like the act alone of what happens to her is like goofy and like it's such a shock and but him 
meeting her where she is and then going into his room and it like you hear the mom like that whole thing oh my god that blew my mind it was so good I thought it was so good too I loved it because I feel like that's exactly what a teenage boy would do yeah like that's probably what would happen yeah it's like well I can't fix it like what am I supposed to do and like I don't and like he doesn't know he needs his mom to take care of it because he can't but he can't tell her so he's just gonna wait until she finds it and then she'll do whatever she's gonna do like I just feel like that's such a like a teenage boy move I don't know totally agree yeah yeah oh so creepy and so very creepy and good yeah um yikes the Snedekers oh yeah the Snedekers I think it, it it is crazy to watch that Sally Jesse clip and just how casually they're throwing around the word sodomy is very disconcerting to my modern ears. I well because they they're talking about it with this like cold like clinical air, so they're not really, you know, they're not talking. There's no like emotion in it where now I feel like there would always be some sort of like space to like process whatever. But in the 90s, they were like, you're on television. You don't you can't cry (laughs) like you have to be able to speak about this. And that was sort of how it was. And so they were just all like very calmly, you know, just like having their little conversation about being sodomized by ghosts and (laughs) then just like calling her out for being liars. Yeah. Oh my I, God. I also felt like when they called each other out and then the Warrens came on and then that other guy came on to call out the Warrens, like they all sort of were calm. Like they, it wasn't like a Jerry Springer. It, I mean, this was like a, this was like a civilized conversation. Well, like, of course it's Sally, Jesse, Raphael. No chair throwing, nothing like this. No, we're just going to have a nice, crazy conversation. Yeah, <laughs> but that every single person in the audience turned out to be like one of their neighbors <laughs> or a friend who smoked weed with the sun or whatever was <laughs> icing on the cake. Yeah, I really appreciated that. My dream when I watched it was that I could be from another time and I could be like a rich, bored housewife who like did my chores or something and then just sat down and started smoking and drinking and watching Sally Jesse Raphael at like one in the afternoon. Yeah. And I was just like totally alone watching TV. And then around like, you know, maybe around three, three thirty, I have to start, you know, getting my shit together. Cause like my kids are going to come home. So I have to like make them a sandwich and try to pretend that I'm sober. And then like, <laughs> but chauffeurs in the oven to heat up and I guess I'm going back a little bit farther than the 90s but still I I mean there's women who still live like that today yeah there are not me though what they're watching they're just watching like YouTube videos though they're watching like um Facebook lives yeah and uh oh god never mind I can't remember his name who's that guy oh forget it I was gonna say not James Charles Jefferson. They're watching these people. <laughs> if you're asking me to know a TikToker, I don't know. He's a YouTuber. 
My point is they're not watching Sally Jesse Raphael anymore. No. Jeffree Star. That was my guess. Got it. It was? Yeah. Oh, I wish I heard you say that. I wouldn't have had to Google it. Oh, I think maybe we talked over each other. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, actually, okay. On that monster, what is it called? Monster Talk. On Monster Talk podcast. Have you listened to other episodes of that podcast? I listened to another one that was like also about this. It was with the same. No, this guy didn't come on it. The um, the author, but it was with this guy who has this thing. Oh my God, it was so cute. He has an organization called like the New England um, Skeptical Society. And I think it's just like him and one other guy, but they like talked to Ed and Lorraine Warren and basically said that they were going around like debunking claims all over New England and Ed and Lorraine Warren were like their big fish that they were afraid to talk to because they thought they were going to be really like knowledgeable. And um, when he actually finally met with, with them, he said that he like wildly overestimated their abilities and that Ed Warren basically knew nothing about like the occult or any of the stuff that they spoke about wow just a real grifter just a total grifter but he said that he they were also like ed warren was desperate for them to validate his claims scientifically that he really hoped that they would do it but they didn't have any they were unable to do that um and it was him and it was also the guy that's how I found out about the Sally Jesse show because the guy who's on the Sally Jesse show at the end and like fights with Ed Warren was a guest on this other episode of that show ah that's cool yeah um yeah the guy uh Ray Garten who wrote wrote the book um he was talking about how Ed Warren was like such a, like a bully and a blowhard and points to that interview with the guy because you know the guy is like bringing up um valid points about how the warrens are profiteering and whatever and uh ed warren is like you're he's an atheist why are you gonna believe somebody who doesn't believe in god or whatever <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah that's their whole thing that's and lorraine did it too i wrote down a quote of hers i think um but basically she was she said about these people the new england skeptical society that basically they um they couldn't criticize her because they don't base anything in god and they don't believe in god so like criticism of her wasn't really valid yeah she's like only judy can judge me judy yeah her daughter judge judy Oh, Judge Judy. Oh, yeah. She also, they, her, their daughter's name was Judy. <laughs> so an extra, yeah. Only Judy can judge her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a meme. <laughs> Only Judy can judge me. She also had a, yeah, they um, and I think that Judy now runs their organization with her husband. That's beautiful. Um, 
and, and they're the ones who let Annabelle escape. No, it was a hoax. They they proved it wasn't true by taking a picture of her in her cage. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's not my cage. Her little lockbox. Her little box. <laughs> I love Annabelle. I want to break Annabelle out of that cage and bring it home with me. I love her. I think you'd be a better mom to her. I would take care of her. She's probably just like a toy story, you know? Oh my God. Well, she's not possessed by a devil at all. She's just like a toy story. They're all like that. Yeah. She's just bad at it. Yeah. And she's like, oh no, how'd I get in this cage? Yeah. I can't go and play with my little friend. She just like wants a a little girl to play with. (laughs) She has to like live her life with these like gross freaks in Connecticut who are like blessing her and hitting her with holy water all the time someone should make like a velveteen rabbit about annabelle that should be us should be yeah i'm editing it out of this so that we can do it separately. do it yeah let's cut this out because this is a fucking million dollar idea i agree <laughs> <laughs> it's at least like the a picture book they would sell it like urban outfitters or something definitely <laughs> um well aki anything to add I don't think so. I mean, this is a tragic and disturbing story, um, not because of demons, just because of like normal, like human uh, disgustingness violence and yeah, that's always the worst. I mean, I hate it when there are horror stories and they turn out to not be scary and to just be, I mean, scary, but just like the truth is always so much worse. It's true. It's true. I wish it was a demon. Me too. And we'll never know the truth. No. By which I mean, like, why they did this. Why the Snedekers did it. Why, yeah, I mean, we'll never know what's up with Carmen. No, I think uh, I think Carmen's trying to stay two steps ahead and her perspective is off and she doesn't she doesn't realize where she is. <laughs> I don't yeah, I don't know. Is she still alive? She is. I think her last name is uh different now. Carmen Reed? Yes. I think that the Conjuring universe, I don't think they would touch the story. And I don't think just because there was already another movie about it. No, I don't think so either. It's, um, it's too gross. Yeah. I think people will always want to know the true story. And if they found out, they would probably kind of not want to be a part of, they wouldn't like it. Yeah, I agree. It's um, it's very messy and very ugly, and um, I'm glad to leave it behind. Yeah, let's leave it behind us and get back to the loving embrace of James Wan, who actually will not be embracing us next week. He won't, no. Because next week we're watching Annabelle Creation. Which I've already seen. I already watched it like two or three weeks ago. So I might actually have to revisit. Oh, wow. I'm excited. Me too. That'll be fun. 
Yeah, it will be. Well, Aggie. Yeah. Bye. Shall we say goodbye? Yes. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. So we're going to set the scene. Now you're about ready to tuck in for the night when all of a sudden you hear music like this. What happened next? Well, Sally, the music would wake me up at night. I'd be sound asleep. I would, I would hear the music playing, and I would say to myself, what is that? And, and I would lie there for five or 10 minutes and listen to it. Along with the music, I could hear uh, three or four voices. There were uh, older men uh, chatting back and forth, back and forth. What did you initially think the music was? It sounded like uh, or, or, oh, 30s music from a, an old uh, controller player. Just the expert. Just the expert.